Who are you and who do you work for as a forester? I'm Mike Rainykainen. I coordinate the civil culture program for Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Division of Forestry. And are there any other groups or councils that you participate in? Yeah, I'm a, I serve on a Minnesota, a Minnesota Society of American Foresters in their Southern chapter as their treasurer. Um, I'm on the Minnesota Shade Tree Advisory um, Committee um, representing SAF. Um, I think that's it for right now. No landscape committees or anything like that? I'm not right now because I'm kind of in my position, I'm kind of I'm landscapeless. Um, so no, I, used, I was on the, um, the Eastern Landscape Committee at one point, but no longer. Uh, what does it mean to you to be a forester and what inspired you to follow this career path? Ooh, I should have listened to the last podcast to prep for that one. <laughs> um, the career path was kind of, um, kind of roundabout. Um, I think I actually got into natural resources. Um, I was interested in, in wildlife management, actually. Um, I took some wildlife courses and then realized I was more interested in um, managing vegetation and habitat and got kind of turned on to silviculture. And that took me, kind of took me on my forestry path. Um, what it means to be a forester, um, I don't know, it's a lot. Like it's, um, it's managing a lot of objectives for um, depending on who you're working for, right? Um, if it's if it's the public, you're you're managing a bunch of objectives that um, that kind of come filtered down from society through management plans. Um, but there there are many. They're economics, um, uh, ecological. Um, I think that's probably that's true for you know whoever what a, whatever agency you're working for, or whether you're working for a private landowner. Um, but yeah, I guess that to me, it's, it's managing all of these many objectives and then trying to achieve those um, through forest management. Yeah. So as a forester for the state, what objectives uh, do you feel like tend to top, rise to the top of the list? Well, I think what, what the, what's challenging is I think um, we often, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to do everything. We're trying to get everything out of every stand you might be working with, which... Um, which isn't always possible. So I think um, I think it's always it's always all those objectives, whether it's um, productivity, um, whether you're managing um, forest health um, or insect and disease concerns, um, wildlife habitat. I think you're always kind of juggling all of those, and it can be challenging to to, to achieve hitting all those objectives on every on every stand you might be working with. But but we try, I think we try to do that. And have you always been working for the state or are there other agencies that you've worked for? Yeah, I bounced around a little bit. I spent a lot of time with the University of Minnesota uh, at the Cloquet Forestry Center. Um, uh, also worked with the University of Minnesota managing um, different kind of research projects and aspects of different research projects, mostly related to silviculture. Um, I did spend some time working for um, county forestry, uh, Hennepin County, big county. Um, mostly highway um, management and shade tree management. Um, and then uh, with DNR, I've done uh, private forest management um, and they're kind of their cooperative forest management group. And then now I've been in our reforestation program, or our silviculture program for about three years. So a little mix of state, county, um, university. How do you feel like that uh, mix of agencies influences getting back to then the objectives question? How do you feel like 
having worked with all these different agencies influences you as a forester who's then trying to help people um, pick out objectives? Oh man, I mean the getting that's a that's a tough one. Um, well, I, I think it helps to see. I think it helps to see um, the diversity of objectives that might be out there. I think the most help that I got was trying was with with PFM was working with private for forests and and public and private landowners and um, realizing um, uh, that you can't achieve everything um, and trying to help them manage their expectations of what they might be able to get out of their woodlot or their 40 um, that you're trying to, that was really fun trying to work with them to say, yeah, you want all these things. I get that, but like, you're going to have to prioritize them because you can't probably can't have all of them. Cause if you're going to have a timber harvest here, it is going to impact your aesthetics. It might improve your wildlife habitat, but you, so you, you have to, you, again, you can't, you can't have it all. So you like, which one's a priority to you? So I think that P, the PFM perspective, I think really helped me out with, um, with my overall um, perspective in my career now. And when it narrows down to specific treatments uh, on state land, there are guidelines for the various state lands uh, or how the state lands are designated, right? So there's um, there's state forests and wildlife management areas. Do those influence then the objectives that the specific foresters or wildlife managers uh, pick when they're making a prescription? Totally. Yep. Um, so if you're working, if you're just taking state land, um, if it's land that's administered by the Division of Forestry, we might have different objectives than land that is administered by wildlife or, or fisheries, aquatic management areas. Um, and then as you're as the forester, you're still you're still in that you're putting that hat on of, of like working with a landowner. Like, what are you trying to achieve here? I'm going to bring my expertise and my discipline to help you balance those objectives because even on our wildlife management areas, um, they're still, um, they're still working forests, right? They're still, they're still providing forest products, but they might prioritize a certain type of wildlife ha habitat above the economics objective or the productivity objective. They're both on the list, but they're just might be reprioritized. So then it's the, it's that job of the forester then to use your expertise to work with that landowner to try to achieve their objective. Um, so it gets challenged. That gets really challenging, though, because we have intermixed um, ownerships, even in, the, in public land, uh, where a division might be right. Your neighbor might be another division's land, and um, so, so you kind of have to manage in the context of the of the larger landscape in some in some situations, just as you would if you're helping a private landowner out. So what does being a forester look like for you on a daily or seasonal basis? Oh man, like in the last like four months or? <laughs> <laughs> is it different? Like, uh, is it, have the last four months with COVID been really different for you? Totally different. Yeah. Okay. I think I um, thinking it, maybe because you're based in St. Paul, maybe it hasn't been that different than in the leadership role that you're in. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, there's, um, that's, yeah, there's been no shortage of things to do. We've got a lot of, um, in responding to, uh, interruptions from COVID-19 to our, our workflow. Um, there's been a lot to do there and kind of prep for maybe a continuation of that. But like our, our planting season kind of went sideways, um, because all this hit like right around when we were going to be lifting seedlings. So, the big perk of my job, because I am in St. Paul, but I am a forester that, and I'd like to be out more than I am. 
the spring is like my, that's my money making time for being in the field. <laughs> it was, I didn't get it this year. So I, instead I was in this basement, um, trying to treat my cell phone. Um, yeah. Do so you have the, um, your role changes across the seasons. It does. Yeah. I think, um, during the growing season, I, I definitely get to get out more, um, to kind of keep, and it's, it's, I don't have like my own project sites. I have these larger projects. I might be kind of leading, um, aerial seeding is one. We kind of do that with on state land, but we do it in conjunction with counties. Um, I might be able to get out and see how that project's going and get to see some people's project sites that we're, tr- we're helping get the helicopter and seed lined up for. And so it's a lot of kind of like monitoring, um, I think my favorite part is to get out in the planting season and help out with administering planting sites. We get to do a lot of that in the spring and we get to bounce around the entire state and see, I mean, get to see everything. And Minnesota, I mean, there's so many different types of sites that we're, we're planting trees on. It's really cool, but I missed it this year. So next year I'm going to, when planting rolls around, I'm going to check out for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'll be, be out and about be in the field. So yeah. when you're, when you talk to a non-forestry audience, so like say your, your family or your, your partner, Missy's family, and they ask you what you do on a daily basis, what do you tell them? Oh, I have no idea. I can't, I, I don't know. All right, it's different every time and none of it sticks. I, uh, <laughs> my mom's gotten really good at um, kind of understanding some of the issues and she's always like sending me um, news snippets on like Emerald Ash Borer and where it's moved to. So I think they, they know that um, they know that I do has a lot to do with planting trees, seeding, um, and, and then silviculture. The word silviculture has seeped into my family. They've got they've got that down now too. But uh, that's that's coming a long ways from like when I was in school and everybody thought I was going to be a park ranger. I think you probably know that one. So <laughs> we've come a long ways. Yeah, yeah. So what do you feel like is your favorite or most memorable? I always put that caveat in there because our most memorable is not always the favorite. Uh, what is the favorite or most memorable prescription or project that you've either developed or implemented and why? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I want to, I want to slam dunk with something at the forestry center, but I had some really fun um, prescriptions or, planting projects that set up for private landowners. Um, I think there's some, so there's a, there's a landowner in Washington County that had kind of a rare black ash wet forest on their land adjacent to the St. Croix and EAB is pretty, pretty well surrounding them now. And I convinced them to do some diversity planting, some underplanting and even cut out some gaps to try to increase light to what they're putting in the ground. It was like a mix of swamp white oak and right along the river is perfect for it. Um, and I think they pulled that off. Um, they, uh, they got cautious for it and I unfortunately moved on, but, um, from my position, but I think they pulled it off. I haven't seen it, but that was a fun one. I think a lot of the, a lot of most, a lot of the work that I did at Cloquet Forestry Center though, all that's pretty, pretty memorable to me. Um, even that, even that simple, that mixed wood, uh, planting that we did that you and I are still talking about. I think that one, I always think about that project. Yeah. That one's, I think that's one cause it's a simple prescription. It's, um, it's just the Blandon model of mixed wood, um, a mixed wood planting where you've had clear cut with reserves and Aspen, you're, you're regenerating the, the Aspen 
um, a coppice and at a low density, you're planting white spruce. Um, they've really refined it. They've got it down to where it's pretty cost effective. And it's just, you're just enriching the site a bit. You're getting a white spruce seed source out there. Um, 400, 500 trees per acre. Um, it requires coming back and doing some uh, brush saw, some mechanical brush saw release, some handwork. Um, but the cool, the twist on that little prescription was um, uh, influenced by Carrie Pike, who was there in the tree, tree improvement program at the time, was why don't you try to get a bunch of different seed sources of white spruce and see if, you know, over the, the course of a rotation, if any of those are better adapted to the climate in Minnesota. So we, we took some, uh, we looked at white spruce, right? Um, we took some Black Hills spruce that was grown in a container from a local nursery, um, some woods run, um, uh, white spruce, bare root from Badura uh, State Forest Nursery, um, local seed source. And then we took um, an improved variety that was also grown by Badura, um, which represents a seed source that's more southerly and easterly. I think it's from, uh, it's from the Ottawa Valley in kind of Southern Ontario. And so we wanted to see if maybe moving that seed source north, it was more, I guess the, the theory, the hypothesis would be that that would be more, better adapted to our climate than what's here currently. And potentially that Black Hill spruce would be too. So that, that prescription, I, yeah, that one's fun. Cause we got, I mean, any, anything trees in the ground and you get to come back and, and, and take a look at it from time to time um, is fun. And that's every time I come to the forestry center, I'm checking that site out. And those, a lot of the spruce are, they're getting up there. Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a memorable one. So why, talk to me a little bit more about the why those are most memorable for you. So the Washington County um, and the, the adaptive mixed wood, why do you feel like those stick out in your mind? Um, I just, I think that uh, the mixed wood ones just kind of a, it's kind of a fun concept. It was pretty easy to get in the ground. Actually, the most fun part of that was that we used um, we used one of the larger reforestation vendors um, that had um, two pretty good sized crews of folks that were migrant um, crews that were here on H two B visas. Um, we actually we had them plant the entire site, and we set the the research plots up so that they would plant those for us too. So we had the seedlings like we had them all like counted out there, and we had the spot we had everything flagged out. And it was kind of a, I was just kind of curious to see if we could actually make that work if part of the larger, so we planted the whole stand, but then could we get, could we get the crews to help us get those research plots planted too? And it, they, they, it seemed like it worked. That was kind of fun. Took a lot of pre-work, but um, yeah, that, that's why that was memorable. The, oh, the one in Washington County, that's memorable because it's be doing PFM around the Metro. Anybody who's has, large enough land, the land, and it's not developed, the land's pretty cool. So that's, that property, it's really old red oak on a bluff above the St. Croix that then graded down into, um, into this black ash wet forest. And that was more like just pretty cool property to be able to help somebody manage. That's what probably that one's memorable. Is there a way in your current role you could potentially go back and check on that planting? Oh yeah, somebody took somebody took yeah somebody else took over and he's been working with that with that landowner yeah, but I can you just canoe past it um, on the Saint Croix <laughs> you can see it from <laughs> we'll see it from the uh, what would you say have been your biggest big biggest successes and challenges during your career 
biggest success is I think still being in forestry. Um, that's, that was a challenge. Um, I, it's, I mean, I think from the onset, you think like the hardest thing is going to be to get a job. But then for me, like that, that was hard enough. And then, <laughs> then after that, it was the, the hardest thing I think was to stay in forestry um, because I was balancing kind of my profession with my family. And, um, and so my wife's work doesn't lend itself well to be working, you know, across Minnesota, wherever that might be. Um, it's, it's, it makes more sense that we're in the Twin Cities Metro. And so after years and years of commuting, um, I was able to find work that was closer to where she was still working, where home was. So that was to be able to kind of stay in forestry and then kind of make it to the position I'm in now, which I love. And it's something I've you know really wanted to do. Um, I think I'm, yeah, that was a success. And the challenge is wrapped up in there too. Kyle. <laughs> Being able to, uh, yeah, be a forester basically in the metro area. In the metro, yeah. Yeah. That looks different than if you're able to go to FE or or even Cloquet or Grand Rapids or something like that, where it's uh, the resources are more <laughs> obvious maybe up here, but there's, I mean, it sounds like there's there's a forestry resource in a forestry community down there. There totally is. Yep. Or, or is it as obvious if you're willing to look for it? The traditional forestry community, it's, I mean, there's less folks in the Twin Cities Metro, but if you get into the out, the kind of outer counties, private land, you've got consulting foresters, you've got people in DNR roles, consulting with private landowners. So that's there. I think what I've got tapped into more um, part of my trip to the county was the um, urban and community forestry community. And that's obviously very strong in the Twin Cities Metro. And, and so I got, so I got kind of looped into that through work, but then also with the Minnesota, the MinSTAC, the Minnesota Shade Tree Committee. Um, and that's been, that's been cool, neat and eye-opening because my, you know, my like studies and work up to that point really wasn't in, in um, forestry, but I've um, got exposed and like a lot of experience, a bit of experience in that. That's been kind of cool. So it's a mix. So the forestry community is different. Are you able to get, nice. um, I imagine your the treatments that you do in the metro area tend to look different than maybe the treatments that are outside the metro area. Is that a... That yeah true? yeah there's much less like if i always think of the way we get treatments done up around here is that they pay for themselves um but yeah. i imagine that through the value of the timber is that is that a reliable source of getting treatments done down there to have merchantable timber or do you tend to have to find kind of alternative ways to get those and funds to get those treatments done unless there's value there. i um in, in in hardwoods i'd say it's pretty challenging to get the work done where you're not paying for it or netting, kind of netting out at zero. So, and that's, yeah, there's market, there's market limitations for sure, where you're kind of missing the markets to the north and, but you're not far enough south to catch some of the markets that are in Southeastern Minnesota. So, yeah, I think that's a challenge around, around the Metro. So, so is a lot, I mean, a lot of invasive species management, a lot of um, restoration and there's, um, a lot of lot of lot of interest in planting. Is that usually um, paired with the overstory treatment, or is it just sometimes? So that that um that ash example, not a huge project, but 
that was going to be the landowner was going to either hire somebody that they had that would help them um or they were going to do it themselves hand like just hand fell trees to kind of create these gaps which in ash the market for ash isn't great you know you know many parts of the state and um that might be a realistic treatment in more, more places than just the twin cities metro but um yeah it's challenging even like even thinning thinning red pine i mean you've got just oodles of five acre red pine plantations in the twin cities metro that were set up at a time when they're that might have seemed more marketable and now it's just not so you have to get creative about pulling together multiple landowners or or being accepting of not really making anything on it and maybe paying for it to get thin. yeah and there um so i think of we we've as foresters are basically trained to rely on the on the fiber as the funding source but are there it sounds like you've been able to find funding through invasive species management programs and other uh things that are value valuing different aspects of the forest that a decent assessment what are so as i think about how we're going to get treatments done up here at the forestry center like what are the other avenues of funding i should be considering for getting treatments done that's good um so with those private landowners um kind of regardless where they were in the state there was state cost share there was federal cost share through nrcs um and yeah, that doesn't always have to be paired up with with timber harvest. Um, so that's an option there with um, at the forestry center. Just um, as an example, I would think in general, just thinking about alternative funding sources for getting treatments done. Like um, like landscape scale restoration from the USDA. I think that's a that's one that we've been going after more. Um, and that might be, yeah, that might that might be an avenue for you. The focus is really on yeah restoration at a landscape scale or whatever yeah we got an example of that in the south like southeastern um, partnering with iowa dnr wisconsin dnr to do an adaptive silviculture project in the driftless area um, looking at building um some re resilience in those forests to changing climate um multi-state um kind of grant um that'll some that might include most probably timber harvests and invasive species management, fire planting. Um, and so that landscape restoration is really, yeah, um, for some of the issues we're dealing with regionally, it's a good, good source of funding. Yeah, knowing those alternate funding sources are probably something we'll, we'll get to or have to rely on um, moving into the future. I think of carbon as being a new one that yeah. I know Sawyer talked about um, there for Blandon lands there. Uh, yeah, that's a, a source of revenue for them that wouldn't have really existed five years ago. That carbon could be paid for another way to pay for our treatments, basically. Yeah, we have to get have to get creative from time to time. Um, yeah, to make sure we've got enough funding to do all the work. So yeah. well, I'm getting past five questions. Do you have any uh, any wrap up thoughts? No, I'm really happy to be on. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks so much for being willing to talk with us and, and share your wisdom and knowledge with the forestry community that is tuning into Camp 8. So thanks. That's, that's very kind of you. <laughs> thanks, Kyle.